Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Podcast. My name is Steve, and my co-host is Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Howdy ho! In the words of a friend of ours. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, a very good friend, actually. Um, well, tonight we're going to be discussing the SummerSlam 1992, which has been considered by quite a few people the best SummerSlam ever, along with the best SummerSlam match ever, that being between Brett Hitman Hart and the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. But before we start, if anybody would like to contact us, please email us at armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. We're also on Twitter at bookingarmchair. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. And supposedly you can find us on iHeartRadio. I did set that up, so hopefully you can, you can get us there now. Uh, and if anybody would like to call in tonight, our guest call in is code 319-527-6089. Did I forget anything, Kyle? No, I think you've covered everything. All right, good. So let's get rolling. We'll talk a little bit about uh, SummerSlam 1992, Wembley Stadium, London, England. Been there. I've actually been there. This is um, a fascinating fact because this SummerSlam should have been in Landover, Maryland. And they changed their mind in May of 1992 and put it in Wembley Stadium. So I wonder if the card would have changed if it was in Maryland and not in Wembley Stadium like it ended up being? You know, I bet it would have been. Um, I don't think – well, I could see the Bulldog and Brett maybe um, having the match for the Intercontinental title. I don't think it would have been the main event. But – So this this card is rumored, and, and of course we have no way of really knowing – where Shawn Michaels should have beat Bret Hart for the IC title, and that would have been their first match. Yeah, and I, I don't think it it would have been as good as their later matches, but it still would have been good. So, a, a lot of uh, interesting facts about SummerSlam '92, and historically this card really stands the test of time. It does. Um, and, you know, just to have it in Wembley and, you know, in Wembley Stadium, like I said, I've actually been to Wembley Stadium, believe it or not, to watch an NFL game. The only NFL game I've ever actually seen live. It oh, was wow. In, yeah. In 2000, um, 2011, I watched the Bears and the, the Buccaneers play. Um, and the Buccaneers were supposed to be the quote-unquote home team because the owner of the Buccaneers also owns Manchester United. And earlier that day, he had actually watched Man U play, and they lost. And then he flew down to London on his private plane from Manchester to London, um, and he watched his Buccaneers lose. So not a, not a really good day for him. No. But... Uh... 
first thing watching SummerSlam 92, this was on television. It was on Fox Sports a couple of weeks back and uh, replayed rather recently, of course, if you have the network. When was the last time you can recall the Legion of Doom performing the Curtain Jerker Act and starting off a pay-per-view card as the, as the first match? You know, um, that may be the first and only time. You know, except maybe, well, you know what, even early in their career, I can't see them being the very first match because they started out um, as the national tag, they gave them the national tag team championship like first match, and I mean, yeah. So back in in Georgia, you know. So I mean, they were always, always, you know. Or as the way Barry Darso put it on an interview with him, he said they started at the top, it went to the top. So <clears throat> they were always like this. So I can't see them being curtain jerkers. So um, maybe they did it on this one, but kind of to kind of set the tone. You know, that's the did, only that's the only thing I can think of. Did this um match against Money Inc. a uh, team of Mike Rotunda performing as Erwin R. Scheister and the million dollar man Money Inc. Um last time the Road Warriors were a team for three years. Yeah, because uh, after the match is when Hawk um, I guess he got in touch. Well, he started hanging out with the London's uh, chapter, of the Hell's Angels. He uh, is visibly impaired during the match. It, uh, I can tell something wasn't right. It's very noticeable because they did not do the Doomsday device. They won with a Road Warrior Animal Power Slam. Yes, um, and I've actually thought about that. It's like, well, sometimes when they didn't do the Doomsday device, it was because the opponent had some reservations about it. But, you know, because the, maybe they had taken it before and landed wrong. Um, but in this case, yeah, Hawk may have been a little bit too impaired. You know, he may have actually hurt somebody um, if he would have came over hurt himself coming off the top rope like that. So, what what a unique way to start off the card with the you have the Legion of Doom and they came out on the motorcycles, left on the motorcycles. Fifteen minutes, unlike the last pay per view we reviewed. Clean finish, time limit draw. Granted it's not one of the dark matches that had happened before that, but Pay-per-view-wise, what a way to uniquely start off the card. Yep. Um, and uh, one thing that they actually probably should have left behind, um, the one negative about this match, not really <laughs> the match match, Rocco. Rocco was the worst addition. <laughs> the stupidest thing. I mean, you take – yes, I do realize they were just calling the Legion of Doom, and they weren't – you know, they, they were leaving the Road Warrior name behind. Um, but that was just uh, – but anyway. 
Rocco was a cheap attempt to get more merchandise money from and appeal to the children in 1992. And I don't even think that worked. Rocco I mean, was absolutely off. Rocco the hand puppet and just not a fit. Like, I don't see Paul Ellering as a uh, puppet master. No, ventriloquist. I mean, he is a man of many talents, but I don't think that's one of them. No. And they said they they accidentally left him at like a train station or a bus station somewhere. Accidentally. But that, oh, Rocco the puppet was awful. Yeah, and speaking of awful, we'll go ahead and move to the next match. First, we will have our first commercial break. And we're back. So the next match, Nails against Virgil. (laughs) I can't believe this actually made a pay-per-view card, and that shows how much wrestling's changed in 28 years. I can't believe this made the card and not one of the dark matches you know, like the Bushwhackers and Jim Duggan. Unless they're doing this for the sake of time. But the very first dark match is the Bushwhackers and Hacksaw Duggan, you know, beat the Mountie and the Nasty Boys. You know, the second dark match was Papa Shango and Tito Santana. That would have been a match to watch instead of Nails and Virgil. And Virgil did a promo before the match, and it probably shouldn't have because – You know, I think my nine-year-old son could do a better promo than what Virgil did on this one. Well, Virgil as a wrestler, uh, Mike Jones, Virgil, what the hell is up with the barbershop trunks? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I didn't know what to call them. (laughs) It's just ridiculous ring attire. And, And he... He tried to have high energy, but this match is clearly to make Nails a threat. And really, Nails was created as an opponent for the big boss man. Yeah, because boss man had turned face. So... I, just the way the, the it was not a good match. Nails, yeah, I mean he looked big and bad, you know. I mean, of course, wearing the orange jumpsuit. And I'm thinking, you know, if you're out of jail, maybe you know, even back then, anyway. Thinking, you know, if you're out of jail, maybe you should like change your clothes at some point. Um, but then his finishing move, it just kind of just happened. Also, the match just kind of ended, you know, because he he put him in a. Um, a version of a chokehold, but not quite right. a chokehold. Somewhere between a chokehold and a and a sleeper. It was different, but Nails, another one. So this is two matches in a row. Nails would famously um, complain about his payoff for this four-minute match, and allegedly, 
punch Vince McMahon in a meeting at the next television taping. And probably out of vindictiveness, cost the government this steroid trial because he claimed in that meeting that Vince McMahon sexually harassed him and became a uncredible witness. Well, that and at the trial, they, you know, he said, oh, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him or something. It's like, well, obviously his feelings, you know, aren't exactly neutral. He's extremely biased. Think about how, how much he hates this man. And so, yeah, he, his credibility as a witness was shot. So, Neil, it's kind of a filler match here. And I think uh, after the 15-minute the match with Legion of Doom, yeah, I think it was time to use the bathroom. That's why they had that match. But it, the it, next, it, the, uh, go ahead. It picks up with uh, Rick Martell, the model, and Shawn Michaels with Sensational Sherry at the time in a match where neither man the other in their face. I remember when I watched this match for the first time back in the, like the mid-90s, you know, I... I had it on um, a videotape, and I was thinking, man, this was this was a really, really good match. Um, for some reason, when I watched it again a few days ago, it was still good. It just didn't seem didn't seem to be as good. But maybe it's because I'm used to seeing the Shawn Michaels that um, was blossoming a, a few years after this when he went in the 60 Minutes with Brett. Then he. Um, you know, he was doing the ladder match with Razor, and, you know, he was just doing all this fantastic stuff. And he was doing some stuff here. You know, it just wasn't full tilt that we're used to. It, 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 at this time, he had, uh, he's, what, nine, nine months after uh, helping Marty Jannetty escape through the barbershop window? Yes, Um Oh uh, yeah, because this was well about eight months roughly, because um, he did that right before the Royal Rumble in 1992. Uh, because when he came into the Rumble, um, he was a heel. Yeah, he's he's learning the craft at this point. And who better to learn from Rick than Rick Martel? Rick Martel, I mean, is a veteran, former AWA world champion, former WWF tag team champion, and he's, he's been there, done that. And so perfect guy, and he, and he can match those moves that Sean was doing. Um, and I like how the match ended the double count out. Um, I, I thought this one, it actually did make sense, you know, just the way they did. I mean, not, the premise was goofy. You know, don't hit each Oh, they can't hit each other in the face. Oh, no. You know, for sure. No. Hold on. You have to explain. Sherry passed out. <laughs> she, yeah, she, quote, unquote, passed out. Oh, so they were, you know, doing almost like a tug of war to see if you could carry her to the back backstage until um, the water got cold. <laughs> could have been a, a lot of different ways to, to get the same result, but for the concept of the match, this is just good storytelling. Yes. And, and um, remember, it, it's heel versus heel here. Yes, and, and that was actually something else I was going to point out as well. 
um, with it being Hill versus Hill because of some of the later later matches. I mean, because you don't see that happen very often. And on this card, you see the other side, the face versus the faces as well. And to have three matches like that on the same card, that's not, you know, a tournament of some kind. But even then, they try to arrange a tournament so they don't have heel and heel face-face. But, I mean, either way, I thought it was a, a, a really good match. Um, just with a, with a goofy premise. I mean, the ending made sense, but it was still goofy. 92, and take it now, now, it makes the match unique. Yeah. Goofy premise, but it fit both of their gimmicks, and it made the match unique. Unlike this next one, I didn't remember this match actually happening. You you know, I think part of the reason why is because this match, it seemed like it happened a lot. You know, um, or at least I used to remember seeing the Beverly Brothers a lot. I didn't think they were a bad team. No, when they were the destruction crew in AWA, they were awesome. But the Beverly Brothers, I didn't realize they got a tag team title shot. I did not remember that uh, without watching the card. And, you know, this match, I didn't think was a bad match. It was probably better than what it should have been. But the um, clean pin, no controversy. Um, Team went over. Yeah, the right team went over. Um, Earthquake, I mean, he had some as big as a man as what he was. Because, man, he's like 6'6". I mean, he was a big, big, big man. And he oh, he did man, he did a belly to belly suplex on whichever Beverly it was, uh, right before he did his um, his earthquake you know finishing move. Um, that he did it, it looked like Magnum TA doing it. Yeah, you because know, Magnum, I mean, he had that belly to belly down. Um, now the one thing about the ending, I thought could have been done a little bit better. It looked more like a singles match ending. Because normally on a tag team match, I mean, I like seeing like a tag team move be the ending move. This was just belly to belly, earthquake splash, done. Yeah, so that may may have been done a little bit different. But the natural disasters being as big as they were, they didn't really have a a future. The only finish I saw were is where Earthquake did his vertical splash and Typhoon did his running splash. At the same time? They Earthquake did his first and then Typhoon did his second. That, But can't imagine a whole bunch of dudes would want a 400-pound man coming across the ribcage like that. No. <laughs> Back, I, I wouldn't. So you have that, and then of course another filler match: the orange version of Crush defeating his former demolition tag team mate, the Repo Man. But they never acknowledged 
any of that. They should have because all the fans knew. You know, like that dude, I mean, he was wearing a makeup, you know, three months ago, and he kept the same name. And the other guy, he just took the makeup off, put on a goofy-looking mask and some, like, gray sweat sweatsuit-looking thing, and now he's the repo but man. Very dark, so um, in hindsight, like, going from Crusher Khrushchev, where he was jacked. Mm-hmm. Then uh, to Demolition Smash, where he is buff, but still a little soft, into the Repo Man, where, like, physically looks nothing like the other two versions. No. I mean, Barry Darso, I mean, um, criminally underrated, if you ask me, because he was was so versatile. You know, because he goes from being... Crusher Khrushchev to being smashed to being you know the repo <laughs> the repo man, and then later on he was uh, the black top bully, and then uh, he had he had some other ones too that I can't think oh, of off the top of my head. Lin one Barry Darso was yeah. his most oh oh and uh, which is really sad considering you know, he was the repo man, but he had something even more ridiculous. Um, but. The concept of, of the Repo Man works in wrestling. <laughs> if you say really. so. We just had a Repo Man come out into our neighborhood the other night. So it, it is a valid profession. Um, it is, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to come out wearing, you know, like a, the 1930s cartoon burglar mask. Hey, it, it ha, yeah, I can't tell you why he wore that. But <laughs> just, I mean, and I'm just, you know, what they should have done in hindsight, and, and I guess, you know, armchair booking, they could have had somebody pull the mask off and then somebody say, oh my God, that's Smash. Yeah, I, I don't recall the Repo Man like lasting very long. He lasted, he lasted about a year, I would say, at least. But um, you, you have all this time. Uh, so we're halfway through the card. And well, one thing I do have to say, though, before we move on. As far as mullets go, Crush was rocking like the best mullet ever during this card. A fantastic mullet. Oh, he did. I mean, that was it was a, it was a thing of beauty. I mean, it was all nothing but business up front and a party in the back. Because even so Sean Sean had a mullet too, but not. And Sean was kind of known for his mullet, but he couldn't beat Crush at this time. Crush had the Joe Dirt mullet. He really did. Except for he had better teeth, because you know Joe Dirt. You know, well. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the trailer park dentist just wasn't very good. But, but anyway. Speaking of mullets, there should be a top ten list for mullets. We'll add, that we, as like a, we'll add that as a bonus top ten on some show sometime. Because I don't think we could spend an hour talking about mullets. <laughs> I don't, you could argue that the Ultimate Warrior had a mullet in – his match against the Macho Man, which came up next. Which, this match, um, 
that's one of the things that because to me it was overshadowed by all the hoopla surrounding Bulldog and Brett, and then the match itself between Rick Martell and Sean. Um, because I mean, I and I always thought pretty highly of that match, and I still do. Just like I said, it just um, it doesn't look as good now because we've seen Sean and much better later. But all the hoopla surrounding this match, all the drama, all the whose corner is Mr. Perfect in? Because Mr. Perfect's in somebody's corner, but whose corner is he in? And these two guys, these two faces, and this is the, we've already had a heel versus heel. Now we have a face versus a face. And we also have the added drama of uh, the warrior, quote unquote, retiring Savage a year and a half prior at WrestleMania 7. Right. And yeah, so now, I mean, they're, they're putting the two guys against each other and they're, um, Say so you can't trust him, well you can't trust him either, you know, and they're um and, and they don't want to go talk to each other because and confront each other because you say, Well, I know I'm not I'm not the guy with perfect in my corner. It must be you. Well, I'm not the guy, it must be you. And I, it was just classic storytelling the way they did that. The perfect part, yes. This match did not work for me like the others had. One, the warrior's outfit with his flesh-colored singlet. That oh, you know the singlet. Oh, you know what's really bad. The video package they had before that, uh, in another one of the matches, he was also wearing another flesh-colored singlet, and it looked even worse than this one. So, his hair hair is slightly different. He's wearing the flesh-colored singlet. It the face versus face dynamic with Ultimate Warrior and Macho Man just didn't seem to work. And the perfect the foreshadowing of Mr. Perfect, he was in the corner of Ric Flair who attacked the Macho Man, caused the Warrior to win by count out. And what was it? Two weeks later, ended up beating the Macho Man at a television taping. Actually, I think it was like three days later. It it wasn't long, or it showed two weeks later. So, as far as storytelling goes, like foreshadowing Mr. Perfect coming out, which he did, came out with Ric Flair, attacks the Macho Man's knee. And ends up uh, helping himself win the title shortly thereafter. Re- really good, like really impressive. Uh, well, I like the way they did that also because it reminded me of Flair the way he was in the NWA, later WCW, where if he lost the title, he's going to get it back. But before he gets it back, he's going to attack you outside the ring where um, or in some some kind of capacity where it's not actually in a match and he's going to injure that leg, you know, the left leg specifically. And then when you go fight him for, you know, in a, in a regular match, well, you're not going to be able to handle it and he's going to beat you with the figure four. You're either going to submit or you're going to pass out. Right. So I like that. To me, that was the classic uh, Ric Flair uh, angle 
type, you know, the classic Ric Flair type story. Um, and I thought it did good for the WWF, like the fans, you know, who didn't really, still didn't really know Ric Flair. I thought it did good for them to see stuff like that because the WWF wasn't doing that at the time. And they really, they still don't. But they may do it for a night. They may say, oh, he attacked him before the match. He injured his shoulder. Oh, no. This right here was, oh, man, he, he blew his knee out you know, a few days ago, and I don't think he, he'd be able to compete in this match. But we'll, you know, um, I mean, I think that's the weird thing about this match. It was more to uh, keep putting over um, Flair as just evil, you know, and perfect as well. Like but, we're talking about WWE storytelling right now. And this garbage that they've just pulled with the NXT four-way championship match. Very cheap ratings ploy. Yeah, I don't have the volume up right now. (laughs) I'm seeing Steve Regal yelling at Finn Balor and another dude. It's very clear this was booked to be the main event of next week. Ah. So instead of having a winner... They have now whittled two of the four out, and they're going to wrestle next week. Off subject, why is it on Tuesday night this week instead of Wednesday night? Because uh, they are being preempted for NBA basketball if you're into watching that. Uh, Well, since I'm not, um, yeah, I won't be – you know, I won't be watching it, so I'll just leave it at that. Because we know the rules of our podcast, and I'll just stop right there. Anyway, um, so, and this, it, no, this isn't the SummerSlam where Warrior held them up for money, was it? No. So No, that was SummerSlam. The year before. Pre- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> SummerSlam, like, Warrior is not allowed – much longer, he'd end up leaving before Summer uh, Survivor Series due to a, a money dispute. And r- really, you see the beginning of the WWE F, their failure to create new stars. So you go from Hogan. Macho Man, Warrior, to what? Because Ric Flair was already established. He became a bigger star. Yep. Well, before we move on, let's go ahead and take our next commercial break. And we're back. So... In this next match, uh, we spoke about this in the previous podcast where Kamala had died but very brief singles match with the Undertaker here and you know for a match so short there was a lot that happened kind of surprising yeah um, yeah, because Kamala he splashed Undertaker you know, three times. You got him uh, 
I guess, straight just off his feet, and then he got off the second rope, and then he climbed to the top rope, did it again. Um, let's see, and Kim Chi, or who was Kim Chi? Who was playing the part of Kim Chi at this time? Oh, that was Steve Lombardi, Brooklyn Brawler. Um, you know, he whacked Undertaker with the pith helmet, and of course, that's how the, the match, you know, the, it was a disqualification, which I didn't have an issue with. I mean, it made sense. You know, with everything that was going on, because Kamala's a monster, but he's going against the Undertaker, who's dead, and that's the way they're portraying him. And then you can't really stop the Undertaker. Um, but Undertaker, man, he got him up. He was going to put him in the tombstone, and um, so it showed how strong he is. And then for him to sit up after that third splash, and one of my favorite parts, when he sat up and the camera went over to Kamala's face, the look on his face, his eyes got real wide. That's always made me just laugh. <laughs> you know? The absolute and, fear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and that's what it, it was true, just fear. Yeah, which I don't blame him. Um, and, you know, when... Kamala or James Harris, when he passed away, um, it kind of came out, you know, a lot of the wrestlers were talking about him, and they said that he was actually light as a feather to work with. They said his splashes, the way he did them, it looked horrible. You know, like, ooh, you know, he just, he really seriously just cracked somebody's ribs the way he landed on them. But they said the way he did it, you know, he protected his opponent. They said you didn't hardly feel a thing. Now, if you watch him do these splashes, you can kind of tell that. Yeah, because now, I mean, now I'm looking for it. But if you were to watch this, all three of those splashes, you know, I mean, yeah, he had a, he had a big belly, you know, but, I mean, he didn't come on boom with his belly first, but he kind of landed knees first and then fell over them and his hands hit. So, like, his belly barely even touched him, you know, but he did it so quick, it looked really devastating. You can you know, like his chops were very light, but his flashes where he ended up needing his knees repaired because yeah. he did fall first. And wait, why they had to name you know his handler after a, a Korean cabbage dish? I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, Kim Chi, really, really, Vince, y'all couldn't come with something a little bit better. But um, but either way, I mean, I I didn't think it it wasn't a horrible match. It did what it was supposed to do. You know, it wasn't meant to be a, a five star match. No. And then. uh they do another dark match with Tatanka and the Berserker. My love for you is like a truck berserker. Okay, I just had to do that. Sorry. The the Berserker is involved in this thing with Nails and Vincent McMahon after this and ends up getting fired at the same time Nails does. Tatanka still on a winning streak and would keep this quite a while till he met up with Ludwig Borga on a wrestling challenge. 
that's what happened to the berserker. The berserker actually guarded the door during the fight with Nails and Vince McMahon. Really? So he got fired for for that. I did not know that. But well, very, very kiss the Hall of Fame goodbye. Yeah, very brief, non-eventful match. Uh, it's a dark match, which is why it's not shown. And then you head to the main event, and you have Intercontinental Championship, one of the very few pay-per-views led by a IC title match. Yep. Well, before they did the match, um, they had the um, Balmoral Highlands um, bagpipe uh, team come out, and they played uh, the name of the game is or name of the game name of the song is Scotland the Brave, but as soon as you heard it, you would recognize it. You know, they, and they were playing that, and then Roddy Piper came out and joined them, and yeah. he played. Yeah, he played one stanza by himself, and then they joined joined in for the rest of it. And I know a lot of people would say, oh, they faked Roddy Piper playing the bagpipes. No, that was Roddy Piper actually played the bagpipes because he actually used to participate in bagpipe competitions. And apparently he was really good. Yeah, he Roddy Piper did a lot of things to survive, like leaving home at 14. But he, he um, his introduction to wrestling, he played the bagpipes. And we, we talked about some of the things he used to do as a heel to get heat. He played the Mexican national anthem on the bagpipes. <laughs> well, and there, ain't, there ain't nothing that's going to get more heat than that. <laughs> Uh, the one, well, what I thought was a little strange that I wouldn't have thought this had I not lived there. I was like, they're playing the Scottish, a very, very Scottish song in London, England. Yes, they're all part of the UK, but that to me was, you know, a little, a little strange because it didn't really fit with everything else also going on. Um, but the match with the Bulldog and Bret Hart. And I know you've heard um, what Bret's talked about, how he basically uh, had to carry this match on his own because Bulldog was high on crack. Did he say crack or pain pills? Well, supposedly the Bulldog had spent the entire night smoking crack with Jim Neidhart. Now, he was probably had some pain pills mixed in there as well, but I had heard pain pills and honestly watching the match several times. I, I didn't find a whole lot of evidence. Like Road Warrior Hawk, you could tell. But Davey Boy, you couldn't. How much of this is Brett inflating his own markum uh, with how great he is? Who knows? Because Diana, 
disputed that. And there have been other wrestlers that disputed his take on Davy Boy's condition that night. Well, <clears throat> I mean, he said he was. Of course, Brett didn't say this until after Davy Boy had passed on. You know, so Davy Boy can't defend himself. Um, you know, but I mean, he said that he and Nightheart spent the night smoking crack. But like you said, I mean, it could be Brett kind of embellishing a little bit. And, you know, neither you or I were in the business and we're fans, but, you know, well, we can have our own opinions. Like, o- overall, the the match goes very seamlessly. They trade o- offense. They the roll up was a surprise. I thought that and, was that was uh, fantastic the way it ended, like that with Brett going for the sunset flip, and Davy Boy just grabbing you know, instead of punch of Brett, he just kind of falls forward with Brett's legs and boom. And there was no way Brett you know, was going to be able to kick out of that. And I thought that was awesome the way that happened. I mean, a beautiful move overall. Uh, sequence, like it came as a surprise. And uh, the crowd, of course, very very excited to see one of their own win. All that, all that pop was just absolutely ridiculous. But the length of the title reign indicates there was sort of a reliability or a potential drug issue because Davy Boy ended up losing it within the next month to Shawn Michaels. Wow, was it that fast? It, it was very fast. And then it turned out that Shawn Michaels faced Bret Hart at Survivor Series in the first ladder match in the WWF. That's the one where Bret even says now that the match that Shawn had against Razor was the same match that, that Shawn had against him. Right. Um, this match, Bulldog and Brad, I mean, I thought the story was great. Um, not brothers, but brother-in-laws, or brothers-in-law, however you want to say it. Um, and having Diana, you know, her out there, you know, didn't know who to cheer for. And, um, and so she's kind of caught in between. And, um, you know, of course, when Davy Boy won it, and she goes there, and, and Brett, you know, who didn't want to shake his hand, and then he finally changed his mind and came back in. Brett does that really well. It makes him look kind of like he's like he's really bitter. So, I mean, not saying that he is bitter, but Brett Hart is very bitter about different things. But Brett Hart believes wrestling is real. Well, he, he is defined by his wrestling accomplishments 
and not as much what he's done as a human being, a father. It's sad to see, considering he's, what, a multimillionaire, that he has some of the attitudes he has towards people in the business and how his career kind of ended. But SummerSlam, like, look at the difference here. Brett proves he can be a main event for SummerSlam, which he he did. And Ric Flair comes down with a back injury shortly after beating Macho Man. And Bret Hart beats Ric Flair for the world title. I think it was just a back injury. He was also having, like, vertigo issues. Um, and it was something, something pretty bad. Yeah, it was something that his doctors were like, yeah, dude, you don't need to be wrestling. And so they went ahead and got the belt off of um, Rick and put it on Brett. And then Brett, like you said, I mean, he he had proved, I mean, he could be a headliner uh, without a doubt. And, you know, of course, then Rick later on um, has the loser leave WWE match against uh, Mr. Perfect. And he's gone, but um, see, I don't know if I would consider this his best match that I've ever seen, or the one with Sean, you know, with the, for the Iron Man the, uh, at WrestleMania um, 12, or the opening match at WrestleMania 10 against Owen. I mean, he yeah, had I, some great, great matches there as well. Just, or, or Steve Austin actually against it, WrestleMania 13. I don't know how I forgot that one. And. and I would say that his matches with Steve Austin, especially the Survivor Series in 96, going into WrestleMania 13, that those were his best matches. And then following Owen at WrestleMania 10, and then you had SummerSlam that year, where they headlined. They had the cage match. Yeah, they had the cage match in 94. And then this match with the Bulldog. But I don't think any of his title runs happen unless he SummerSlam goes over the way it did here. So it kind of worked out for Brett that they did um, move it to Wembley. Because he and Sean would have had a good match at Landover, but I don't think it would have beaten this match. You know, a lot of that because of the uh, the hometown crowd, more or less. Because Wigan, uh, England, is not exactly next to London. You know, Wigan's pretty far up there, and you know. But I mean, you can still say the home country. He were it was kind of a hometown boy in a way. You, you look at this uh, this event. And start with the dark matches. The Bushwhackers were not a lot around much, much longer. Jim Duggan ended up going to WCW um, two years after this. The Mountie is towards the end of his career. The, the Nasty Boys end up going to WCW soon. Papa Shango gets a gimmick change to Kama, uh, Mustafa, the supreme fighting machine, 
eventually becoming the godfather. Chico Santana becomes El Matador. The Legion breaks up, don't wrestle for three years. Well, Money Inc., they won the tag titles, and then they um, they were defending the tag titles at the next WrestleMania. Uh, Nails, we know what happened to him. Virgil, well, uh, this is about the, this, the, yeah, this is about the peak of his career. You know, I thought I heard a super nice guy, but they said, you know, it's really sad, you know, how how things have turned out for him in a way. Um, Rick Martell, I mean, he had, he was on the downside of his career, but he was still extremely good. And Sean, we all, everybody knows what happened to him. Um, yeah, Rick Martell made it, what, 99 before he tore his knee up in WCW. Mm-hmm. He did pretty good. Earthquake ends up going to WCW, becoming the shark and a thousand other people. But then goes back and um, becomes Golga. Right? Becomes one of the oddities. Typhoon, this is kind of it for him. Was it? This was before he became the Shockmaster, wasn't it? Or was this, this after? Was okay. No. Um, um, the Beverly Brothers end up they they don't wrestle together much longer after this. Crush ends up getting few, arrested. Well, yeah, but he goes through a few gimmick changes as well. Um, sometimes sometimes retain the name Crush, sometimes other names. But Proof um, of Man, we've talked about him having some few gimmick changes. Also, been Warrior. Uh, go ahead. The Ultimate Warrior, like. Like we said, he ends up leaving by November and reappears briefly a couple years later, ends up in WCW, wrestles Hogan in the worst match probably ever. Randy Uh, Savage, that's kind of it for his singles run. He ends up what, two years later, I know he faces Yokozuna briefly, but this is kind of it for his run as a main event heavyweight champion. Undertaker, I mean, we know we know what he's doing now. Um, and Kamala, may rest in peace. Um, you know, he he went to WCW and then uh, he came back to the WWF for a little bit, but, you know, he had health issues, a lot of health issues before he uh, passed away. Um, Tatanka, didn't the, did Tatanka retire for a little bit, then he ended up coming back? Yeah, he he, um, he actually runs a wrestling school in West Virginia. It appears at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning on oh. local television. It is pretty bad. <laughs> uh, the Berserker, because we just discussed what happened with him, and we already know what happened with Bulldog and Brett, but uh, before we wrap this up and talk about what we're going to be doing next week, we'll go ahead and take our last commercial break. 
And we're back. All right, Kyle. So before we actually talk about um, what we're going to do next week, one thing I do have to say, because this was um, a car that was based in England, in the United Kingdom. I just want to say hi to our listeners in the United Kingdom, because looking at our stats, we actually do have some folks who are downloading our episode who are in the U.K., well, I say England, actually, it just says the U.K. It does not tell what part of the U.K. is. So uh, it could be England, Scotland, Wales, or even, even Northern Ireland. But either it way, drop, drop, drop us a line. Tell us where you are. Um, tell us who you are. Tell us about yourself. We'd love to hear from you. Like I said, like I said before, armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, just, just hook us up. Give us some info. But the, anyway. Well, watch it. Reading the card as we've discussed everyone six of the wrestlers on out of 11 matches six have died since since the event um what these guys do for our entertainment Actually, seven. I just counted real fast. It was actually seven. That's not even including the managers. So very um, the the eight the wrestlers of the eighties, the nineties. Wow, what they went through during the boom period to to perform, but most of them didn't make it to fifty. Yep, and they put on a, a great show with this card. Even the dark matches sound like they could have been on the main event, or the main event card, I should say. So, Kyle, what are we going to be doing next week? Next week, we have another top ten list. But in this case, we're going to celebrate Labor Day with the top ten laborers or enhancement talent. And I can't wait to put together this list. This is going to be a tough list to make. It sounds like it would be easy, but no, because you got to, so many things you got to factor in. You know, how well they could, how, how legit they could look, even with losing. You know, how well they put over the people they're supposed to put over. You know, um, you, you you can argue in today's WWE, Dolph Ziggler is the closest thing we have to an enhancement talent. Is he never he never wins anymore? You're right. Um, but then again, you could say that. Well, you could say Bray Wyatt was the enhancement talent of the pay per views because he was win 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 come pay per view, boom, he's losing. He was doing that for a couple of years because people started looking going, you know, why don't y'all knock it off? Let the man win. Or you, you can argue on the women's side, Natalia, that's how you prove yourself as a female wrestler is you wrestle Natalia. And she's guaranteed to lose. Which is a shame, too, because I like Natalia. 
But, but I, I think we're going to get into some uh, phenomenal and forgotten non-champions of the 80s. Yes. And for anyone out there, if you have your own list of who you think should make the top ten enhancement talent, or some people call them jobbers, or uh, another terminology, they call them carpenters. Why do they call them carpenters? Because they help build people's houses. That's the way it's looked at. And they and that's not meant to be an insult at all. That's actually a kind of a term of endearment. Because they said back in the day that the enhancement talent, these guys could not look as good as what they do. So they're a very important piece that's kind of thrown by the wayside a little bit. So everyone's got to learn their craft from somebody. Yep, and everybody should start at the bottom. And, and very few exceptions. A, a good way to celebrate the Malkies and, and s- some other forgotten people. Yep, but I already already have in mind some people I'd have on my list. Um, some of them probably from my childhood. I'm pretty sure, Kyle, you had the same <laughs> from from yours, but it'll probably be, you know, not as easy to make the list because you really, it's the, having the list of names is one thing. Then having to rank them, that's where the, the tough part comes in. I've already got my top five. Oh, well, good for you. <laughs> you overachiever? I, 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 <laughs> wrestling fan, who, who did the enhancement talent work with? And there were a few that never won a match that it, you, you still recognize 30 years later. Well, I think I'm going to put you as my number one enhancement talent because I know you've never won a match. Well, I would say your enhancement talent should be Viagra. <laughs> oh, still family friendly. I didn't say what it was used for. Yeah. But that's the ultimate enhancement talent. Well, excuse me, Uchu. All right. And so, Kyle, we will continue this discussion next week, and I'll be texting you. See you, buddy. All right, man. Have a good week. You too.